the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as you know, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Pups because I have three law degrees and two of them are masters of law degrees. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation law and I'm also the master of laws of intellectual property laws. And both of my great master's degrees are obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the beautiful city of San Francisco. And again, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and wealth creation and wealth transfer and the roles these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me. I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also do debt law management, estates and trusts, and of course, taxation law. And as you know, I sometimes have the opportunity in my overall practice to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of senior citizens who find themselves not only the targets, but unfortunately, more than likely, the victims of financial elder abuse, which is running rampant in our country today. And again, I'm coming to you today from my continued voluntary lockdown from my makeshift studios in my home in another great world-class city, that is to say the always beautiful city of Oakland, California. And I come to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. As always, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. Uh, That is especially if the legal issue you're dealing with concerns your finances or any of your assets. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I think representing yourself in a legal matter, any legal matter, but especially one concerning your financial assets, is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And as we all know, or I hope you believe, you're going to be on the short end of the deal if you take a butter knife to a gunfight. Uh, That is to say, your righteous claims and your valid defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So I say, why risk it? 
So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss your money. And unfortunately, while we're still in this pandemic and trying to dig ourselves out of it, more likely the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses, health, wealth, and financially money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. Okay, you guys win. Inquiring minds want to know the backstory of how and why I ended up going up in a Navy fighter jet that was launched from and landed safely back on the United States ship Coral Sea in the early 1980s after I had conceived, configured, uh, presented to, and sold to the Navy and then oversaw the implementation and trained members of the crew on the functions and operations of an onboard supply ordering system used to track the inventory and quickly locate the parts needed to repair the fighter jets on the ship. When I worked for Pacific Bell as a systems design consultant on the United States Navy team, in that part of Pacific Bell that furnished data and telecommunication systems to the Department of Defense. Now, what I sold to the command of the Coral Sea and the Navy Supply Command at the Alameda Naval Air Station was a local area network. That is to say, a prototype miniature internet system that many of us have in our homes today via a router that's provided by our our carrier. But at the time, the system I designed was quite novel, especially for a ship of that vintage. For you see, the Coral Sea was one of the three Midway-class aircraft carriers that were commissioned in the mid-1940s, in the middle of the... uh, of Second War, the Second World War, along with the USS Midway and the USS Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, two of these great carriers, that is to say, the Coral Sea and the Midway, they were named for heroic battles that took part and took place in the Pacific in May and June of 1942, and that changed the tide of World War II in the Pacific Theater. First, in May of 1942, the Battle of Coral Sea, the battle that the ship I worked on was named for, that is the sea that's right off the northeastern coast of Australia. And at the time, the United States Navy and her adversary at the time, the formidable Imperial Japanese Navy, fought a battle at sea against an enemy who was not in sight of either fleet using signal intelligence and dive bombers launched from their respective aircraft carriers to inflict great damage on each side. And this was the first time the U.S. Navy had actually checkmated the Imperial Japanese Navy. That is to say, although it didn't win the battle, it inflicted such damage that for the first time, the United States Navy denied a solid win for the Imperial Japanese Navy. 
And however, and although the U.S. lost some ships in that battle, we inflicted such damage on two of the major aircraft carriers from the Imperial Japanese fleet that they weren't able to put up a full complement of vessels in the Battle of Midway that took place the very next month in June of 1942. And this handicap, not having those two ships, were such a, 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 a negative deterrence that the U.S. Navy was able to destroy most of the remaining vessels, if not outright destroyed, cripple them such that we won the Battle of Midway. And in turn, that led to us winning the war in the Pacific Theater. So knowing the history of this ship from the get-go, what I took at that time, and I still take the greatest amount of pride today, was the fact that knowing that this was the ship's last mission, that is to say, the U.S. Coral Sea was destined to be decommissioned after its long life defending our nation, and in fact, it was decommissioned in 1990. As such, my work helped her go out on a high note in fashion for her final voyage to her new station at Norfolk, Virginia, with a then state-of-the-art, fully functioning local area network that supported the crew's primary mission, that is to say, maintaining the readiness of her fighter jets on board such that they could launch and then fulfill their mission and then safely return and land back on the flight deck. So I'm sure you're saying, how and why was I, a little black woman in my 20s who had not finished college, put in charge of such an important project for such an important client of Pacific Bell? Well, it was because I had been trained in telephony. Telephony is how people talk over, over copper wires and data communications in a very unconventional way. And then once trained, I had the support of most of my supervisors and management who sometimes had to push me into opportunities to fulfill my own destiny. For example, as I believe it's quite evident, I'm a pretty smart cookie, even if I have to say so myself, and I don't mind if I do. As such, when, when I was a senior in high school, I was offered several scholarships, but something else happened to me at the same time. My favorite first cousin, Gerald, who I, to this day, still razz about this, <laughs> introduced me to the man I very slowly fell in love with, a man who made it very clear to me that he not only wanted to have a relationship with me, he wanted to marry me. So much so that on my 17th birthday, halfway through my senior year in high school, I received a diamond engagement ring along with several college admission notices. And I had to make a really hard decision that really pissed my dad off. Now, I got to tell you, my dad has only raised his voice to me twice in my entire life. Once he raised his voice to me because I was following around my older brother and, and cousin Gerald, and, and we were playing Fortin, attacking each other. We ended up on a railroad track and my dad was pissed off at them more than me for letting this little girl run around and, you know, be involved in a situation that might cause her harm. And he really 
beat the crap out of them for not watching out for a little girl. And he, he yelled at me and swatted me on my butt a couple of times, which broke my heart. The only other time he raised his voice to me was when we were discussing, and I put discussing in quotation mark, whether I should get married or go to college. Well, anyway, I wanted to get married and start a life with the man of my choice, a man whose career involved the life of travel in the military. So like most things I really wanted, my dad eventually gave up and agreed to let me get married and sanction the marriage and actually was a pretty good sport about it with the understanding that I would complete my education sooner rather than later. So when we come back, we'll continue today's discussion. And this is an overall discussion on why black and brown youngsters and their parents need to take advantage of the current paradigm shift in technology the way I did in my youth and put our collective foot down and demand that our children get a 21st century education primarily focused on STEM and a secondary focus on the law, even if we have to provide that education ourselves. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on today's topic using me as an example. But the topic is why black and brown young people and their parents need to take advantage of the current paradigm shift in technology the way I did when I was a youth. And by doing so, demand that our children get a 21st century education with a primary focus on STEM, that is to say science, technology, engineering, and math, and a secondary focus on the law, even if we have to provide that education to our children ourselves. So how did I become such a techno nerd in my youth that I ended up designing a local area network for the United States ship Coral Sea, along with some other very interesting voice and data communication systems for the Navy while I worked at Pacific Bell. And when I worked for other companies, such as I worked for a subsidiary of Motorola, and at that time I designed systems for great companies such as the Pacific Stock Exchange, Boeing Aircraft Company, and Northwestern Bell. This is after I left Pacific Bell. I did so because of my ongoing curiosity as to how mechanical and physical things are put together and how they function. I've always had that interest. And if you really want to know the truth, that's how I taught myself the law, trying to understand not so much the physical and uh, mechanical way things are put together, but how words and things and deeds and scenarios are torn apart and put back together to make sense in a legal sense. But that's another story. Now, one of the great things, you know, before we left, I talked about how I got married uh, as a youngster. Well, one of the great things about being married to a United States service member is that you get to travel all over the world. And my first real job as an adult was working for the Department of Defense in Germany as a statistician while my then-husband worked for NATO. You know, as an aside, people rag on NATO, 
But NATO is a wonderful organization. And as a result, my former spouse and I got to work with some really great people from all over Europe, focusing on a singular issue, keeping our countries free. But I digress. So when we returned from Germany to the United States in the late 1970s, we got to live on one of the most beautiful military installations of all times. That is to say, the beautiful Presidio of San Francisco. Now, because I was a civil servant in good standing upon my application for employment on the Presidio, I was offered a job working for the Western Regional Procurement Management Command as a purchasing agent. It was kind of like being a statistician, but not really. But it was a, an interesting job, and it paid well. And my second day on the job, I was assigned to a group specializing in the procurement of electronic data processing equipment. And the day after that, because no one else volunteered, I volunteered to be detailed to undertake a series of training courses concerning a project that I had never heard of before. The project was called the Advanced Research Project Agency Network, or also known as ARPANET, which was a wholly owned entity of the Department of Defense. Now, ARPANET was the first ever wide area packet switching network using something called a distributed control protocol slash internet protocol or the initials were TCP slash IP for all you other technical nerds out there. You know that TCP slash IP was the technical foundation of the modern day internet. Now, existing and competing technology used for data communications at that time was circuit switching networks. And they used to... Um, transmit voice over an analog sine wave over telephone lines. So back in 1969, some very smart eggheads at MIT, Stanford, UCLA, in private industry and the Department of Defense developed some algorithms to transmit data in discrete digital units as opposed to analog sine waves. They were smart enough to break down and break up information into bite-sized packets that did not have to be transmitted via paths of a switch network in a telephone central office. But instead, these packets were smart enough to pick the next available transmission medium that would allow it to swiftly get to its destination. And then it was smart enough to reassemble the entire package of information in proper chronological order. Hmm, doesn't this sound like what's going on today? So in 1975, when ARPANET was being fully implemented to tie together major Department of Defense laboratories and universities in the United States, I was hired as a purchasing agent. And because I was the only one in my unit who was interested in learning about uh, data processing and data communications and satellite transmission systems and light wave theory and inter intra city services, and because at least one person in the unit needed to understand these technologies so we could make sure we were buying the right equipment for the units we served, I became the subject matter expert in the unit, and I put on training seminars for my bosses and colleagues. And after I had done that job for a year or so, 
I was offered a paralegal job in the judge advocate's office there then on the Presidio. And I worked on both claims against the military and contracts that uh, related to the procurement of electronic data processing equipment. Then at a Christmas party, I was introduced to my boss's sister who worked for Pacific Bell in the transmissions line system. And she informed me uh, that my boss, her sister, urged her to recruit me into Pacific Bell because of my technical knowledge. Again, as Pacific Bell was under a consent decree and had to increase the number of people of color in its management and engineering ranks, my boss's sister, along with all of her other managers and company colleagues, were measured not only by their work contributions, but also by the results that they got of recruiting candidates of color who stuck with the company for at least one year. But to make a long story short, I eventually applied for a non-technical, non-managerial job at PAC Pacific Bell. And within nine months, I was working in the Advanced Office Systems District, a department where I was the only person of color and the only woman. But I was put in charge of designing and automating Pacific Bell's forms and record management system on a brand new mainframe computer. And it was, in effect, a wide area network connecting all the company's three main record storage facilities throughout California. And in that job, I got oodles of training and that assignment worked its way into me doing an excellent job where I was able to bring that system online uh, several months early. I managed a $5 million budget and I ended up being recruited into the group that was focused on designing systems for Pacific Bell's various categories of clients, including military clients. So as a direct result of my success on the record management project, I actually got recruited to participate in a new training program that Pacific Bell was implementing to train knowledge workers to design data and information communication systems geared to specific markets. I became a systems design consultant, that is to say a systems engineer whose task was to support my team of outside salespersons by providing technical solutions to our clients' data communications problem. And because I had worked as a Department of Defense civilian in my earlier life, I was put into the military sector. But because my then husband was active duty Army, to make sure that that was not even the appearance of a conflict of interest, I was assigned to the team working on projects for the United States Navy. Once I got the role of a systems engineer, I was given all kinds of training on network systems, microprocessor-based modems, multiplexers, data switches, remote diagnostic control systems, broadband and baseband local area networks, communication systems devices, communication storage devices, information mapping techniques, technical writing, and oh, something called artificial intelligence-based network management and control expert systems back in the 1970s and 80s. Now, once I was assigned to the Navy team, one of my first assignments was to design an information system that assisted the men of the United States Coral Sea keep track of and quickly access the thousands of parts needed to keep their squadrons of fighter jets in mission-ready condition. So that's how I ended up taking part in a joyride 
in a fighter jet, launched from and safely landed back onto the U.S. Coral Sea at the age of 28, way back in 1982. You know, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, and I'm sharing it with you all in the hope that it will inspire one or two of you young folks within the sound of my voice to embark on a very rewarding career in science, technology, engineering, and math, the way it inspired my younger brothers to do after they found out that I got to ride on that jet. Okay. Now, with that said, I'm going to leave it there for now. But always in closing, I like to say here at Salwin's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law. The laws of obtaining a great education, whether by conventional or unconventional means, but an education that can lead to a great career that can allow us black and brown folks to take care of our families, our employees, and our communities during this pandemic and light years beyond. So till next time, mask up, keep your social distance, wash your hands, happy Passover, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.